It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Dryav with my co-host, Nick Braccia, here to break down this weekend's UFC fight night in which Anthony Smith headlines against Alexander Rakic. And of course, we're going to cover last weekend's Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz fight card. Nikolai, good to be on with you, buddy. It is. And you know what else is good is being the king four weeks in a row. God damn it, Nick. Stanislav. God damn it. Another, another defeat. It's getting, I got to make sure I don't get too comfortable. But I got to say, as far as victories go, this one was not sweet. Overall, underdogs reigned on this card. Our analyses were largely wrong. (laughs) And um, I mean, you had some picks in in not your drafts that that went well. But this was just a what is just a weird, weird card where fighters, excuse me, uh, fighters behave strangely. Uh, Heavy, heavy favorites uh, fell. Uh, fighters who probably shouldn't be in the UFC prove they probably shouldn't be in the UFC. Other people surprised us um, and snuck in there. There were a, a couple of, um, you know, marquee or showcase performances. So uh, we don't have to talk too much about about my four in a row, but we can talk a bit about the main event, which I watched without sound because I was putting my daughter to bed and she was watching it too. And... It was a typical Frankie Edgar fight. It was they were close rounds on points, uh, and there was activity versus damage was a dynamic. There were takedowns that were not that you know not that effective. Spring back up takedowns. Um, I saw one as a toss up, two um, two is clear Edgar, three I thought was clear Munoz with four possibly going to Edgar and five I thought was Munoz but with the sound off and the camera angle I didn't see the shot that apparently wobbled Munoz I thought it was a close fight a con- you know a, a thing I, a decision I would consider controversial but not a robbery I didn't think it was as bad as Frankie getting jobbed in the second uh if you if one does think that Pedro Munoz got jobbed here I don't think it was as bad as Frankie in the second Benson Henderson fight um, but I do think it was uh, certainly very, very close and a controversial decision. Uh, decision. Pedro Munoz has been a little extra whiny afterwards, suggesting yes, Frankie's a legend, but he got points for his reputation. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the way that that Frankie fights can result in in judges uh, favoring him. He's very fast. He's very active. He can throw three and four punch combos, and it can be very difficult to ascertain how many of those actually land. Um, I did not think waiting for the decision that it was going to go to Frankie. I thought, you know, maybe split, maybe split decision. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts? I thought it was a pretty clear Pedro Munoz four to one worst case three to two decision. Um, if you look at the stats, Pedro outstruck Frankie Edgar in almost every round. So for example, Pedro Munoz uh, landed just a little bit more in the first round. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe had that round close, but Pedro Munoz got the edge for landing the bigger shots for landing those calf kicks. Second round was clearly Edgar's. The third round was clearly Munoz's and you talked about that, right? But Nick, the deciding judge gave that round to Frankie Edgar. So if Yeah, I don't understand if, that. If that one judge had scored that third round correctly, 
which the other two two judges did, then this would have been a clear cut Pedro Munoz split decision at least, right? But yeah, look, uh, Pedro Munoz outlanded him in almost every round. Pedro Munoz landed way harder shots. His calf kicks were damaging. His head strikes were damaging. You could see it on Frankie Edgar's face. I don't know. You could see it on Munoz's face too, and and Pedro's face was getting bopped around. Like he got his head snapped back a lot. I actually felt like Frankie was was wearing and rolling with the shots and responding to them just as well as, as or in many cases, better than Munoz. I thought Frankie ate and absorbed those shots like much better than he has in the past, like shots from guys at one forty five and one fifty five. Yeah, I mean Frankie didn't fall down, so that was good, but. He was taking the much bigger shots. I'm not saying he wasn't rolling with any of them, but he was taking the much bigger shots. And Frankie was landing pitter-patter for the most part. He was landing, I would say, every six or seven of Frankie's shots were clean, hard right hands. But outside of that, there wasn't really any variety. There wasn't really serious power for Frankie. Everything Pedro Munoz threw and landed was hard. And those calf kicks, man, like if Sean O'Malley had taken as many calf kicks as Frankie Edgar did in this fight, he would have been in the morgue right now, Nick. Not in the hospital, but the morgue. They were, they were hard calf kicks. Frankie did start checking them. But yeah, I mean, listen, I, like I said, controversial decision and being the biggest Frankie Edgar fan in the world, I was expecting Munoz to get the decision. I feel like there was a period where after the fourth or during the fourth where Frankie could maybe have swung the momentum and I didn't feel like it quite happened. But again, I missed, I missed this, this alleged Pedro, Pedro Munoz staggering um, that occurred in the fifth round. I don't know if the commentators made a big deal out of it. I don't know what it looked like to the judges, but I would not say that Frankie got wobbled at all in that fight. And apparently Munoz did. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the wobble in the fifth round either, but Pedro Munoz outstruck Frankie Edgar by probably one of the biggest margins in that fifth round. Of, of any of their rounds together. He outstruck him by 14 strikes in that round, and every other round he outstruck him by around 10. So, I mean, in my opinion, pretty clear-cut Pedro Munoz. I think the reason there's no outrage is because Frankie Edgar is loved by everyone, including me. I'm a, I'm a fan of Frankie Edgar's. You said he's one of, if not your absolute favorite fighter, and I think there's a lack of outrage for that reason. And I think if last week had... Uh, he's also he's also been jobbed in some decisions over the years. I mean, not... I, I, I think you really got to squint to give him either Aldo fight. Oh, yeah. Maybe a case can be made for the first kind of. The first one, yeah, the case can be made. But that second, the second, but the second Benson Henderson fight, I felt like, um, I felt like that, I felt like that was a very clear Frankie Edgar victory. Yeah, but it shouldn't work that way, right? Like Pedro Munoz shouldn't pay for the sins of prior lightweight champions. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like the, I'll, then, I'll, then I'll echo I'll echo Dana White. Don't let it go to the judges. Well, that, that, that's that. that's ridiculous, and it's easy for Dana White to say. Dana White, who, like, tried to be a pro boxer, but it didn't work out because he didn't have it, but then he's telling real pro fighters that, like, they should finish other extremely high-level fighters who are very difficult to finish. Very easy to say that. But, yeah, look, I, I, th- I thought it was a bad decision. Um, is it a terrible catastrophe of a robbery? Maybe not, but it's rare that you get just horrible one-sided beatings that go to the wrong guy, right, by decision. So I thought Pedro Munoz won four of five rounds. He outstruck Frankie Edgar in four of five rounds. He landed harder shots. He had more variety of offense. 
Pedro Munoz, you know, I spoke last week about how he's very hittable and he takes a lot of offense, but he lands with so much no more head power. Move. His head movement's terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I spoke about that as well. Although it was a little bit better in this fight, to be fair. Uh, overall, his defense is not great, but it doesn't generally matter because he lands with so much more force than do his opponents. But I will say Frankie Edgar, down at 135, being the taller man, still carrying speed, right? Pedro Munoz is a slow bantamweight, and Frankie was the faster man here. That's something else that I anticipate. I just didn't expect Frankie's uh, Frankie to be able to take as much offense as he was able to take after seeing him get knocked out in a couple of his last few fights. And Frankie was able to do it. Look, he looked good in this one. He can compete in the top 10 in any division still, right? Even if he got caught against the Korean Zombie recently. But it's still a shame to see a guy like Munoz being on a two-fight losing streak when he should have only lost to Aljamain Sterling, who might be the best in the division. And he could have been up for a title very soon had he uh, walked away with this decision. And instead, he'll be set back by a year and a half, if not two years. And that might just lead to the end of his career. Oh, I, don't think he'll, I don't think he'll get set back. He won't get set back that much. He'll get Aldo next. He'll beat Aldo. And coming off of Aldo, they'll give they'll give him. A uh, yeah, shot, I'd I be think. surprised if they gave him a title shot at one and two. Like if you're one and two in your last three, and you're getting a title shot, it's because you're a big name or a former champion. Generally, I don't think the UFC like has a strong preference for Munoz, and so they probably wouldn't reward him in that way. But honest truth is, I don't blame him. Like the truth is, everybody loves Frankie Edgar, and that's why the majority of people are comfortable with the decision. They were rooting for Frankie, and in a competitive fight, when you're rooting for someone, you're more likely to think that that person won. Because, you know, there's a set in bias, which which is understandable. But look, good to see Frankie Edgar looking like a lean, tall athlete for the first time in his career. Good to see Pedro Munoz performing as well. I, I would say neither guy should walk away from this looking like a loser. And I, I hope you're right. And I hope that they give Pedro Munoz a nice opportunity to uh, climb back up to the very top of that ladder real soon. Uh, we also have Mark Rod- Mike Rodriguez, who basically dominated Marcin Prochnia about as I expected. I talked about how Prochnia is terrible in just about every way. And Mike Rodriguez, you know, even though he may be susceptible to uh, the occasional knockout or easy takedowns, this was not likely the situation in which that would manifest. That was your one correct picnic, and that one worked out for you. Joe Selecki dominated Austin Hubbard. I expected him to beat Hubbard, and I think you p- you picked Hubbard in that one. But Selecki, man, he's, he's proven to be... He's probably something pretty special at this point. And, uh, you know, Hubbard's like being kind of a jack of all trades is not going to work consistently in high level MMA. Shayna Dobson beat up Maria Agapova after, you know, having some rough moments early. Agapova basically shat the bed. And it's funny, Nick, I recommended um, either a bet uh, for this fight to not go over a round and a half, or depending on how the odds come out, I recommended a bet on Agapova by first round. The odds for Agapova by first round were about the same as this fight not going more than a round and a half. So I ended up placing the bet on the fight um, ending before, you know, that two and a half minute mark of the second round. And it worked out, even though Shayna Dobson won. So I'm really glad about that. But yeah, man, Shayna Dobson proves she has the grappling. Here's the thing. She used to train at Lloyd Irvin's gym, and I'm not a believer in that guy. I think he's, I think he's a shyster and, you know, has decent knowledge of MMA, but not a phenomenal coach. And then she moved to Elevation Fight Team. Shayna Dobson did, Nick. And then she's been looking significantly better. She looks like a completely different fighter. And even though she got caught in her last fight, 
I think this performance is a testament to her improvement. And look, maybe she can hang around the UFC at this point. She's four and four, four and five, arguably because of her loss in the Ultimate Fighter. But Agapova shit the bed. I talked about how she is a lot like Nikita Krylov uh, of women's flyweight, in that Nikita just kind of dominates early and then gets exhausted, and that's literally how this fight went. So pretty funny there. Daniel Rodriguez knocked out Dwight Grant after looking pretty shoddy early on. Amanda Lemos kind of dominated Mizuki in a way. I talked about her speed, her athleticism, her strength advantage, and I talked about how she's going to end up uh, gassing at some point and starting to lose. That's how it went, except Amanda Lemos won enough of that three-round fight to earn the decision. Jordan Wright knocked out Ike Villanueva. That's another one we disagreed on. I picked Jordan Wright. And uh, Matthew Semelsenberger beat up Carlton Minos. Uh, we both expected Minos's jab to play a role there. It wasn't enough. Matthew is really rounded striker. He switches stances, throws offense from every limb. Uh, really interesting prospect to, to I think, look out for. And then Timor Valuev, who was a huge favorite, uh, ended up losing to yeah. Drevin Jones. Uh, I do quickly, before you talk about some of these fights, I want to I want to talk about uh, Artelli. You are four wins in a row now, Nick. Uh, my 12 to your eight. You are quickly catching up. And if this keeps going the way that it is, you're going to surpass me. But I will say, if if uh, Pedro Munoz would have gotten the decision, I would have gotten my win. Timor Valuev was a huge favorite, and he got you know he dominated early and then got caught out of nowhere. Obviously, Agapo was another one of my picks, and also Munoz. And yeah, it's just things are really coming into place for you. Whatever it is that you're doing for the MMA gods, whatever sacrifice you're making, it's working. And I would love some tips. Uh, I'm not going to share any tips with you. Um, I'll share a tip for Ike Villanueva though, which is like, if a guy's going to come up from middleweight and and knock you out, and you're like a heavyweight dude. And a guy that got knocked out badly at middleweight on the contender series, probably back to the regionals. Yeah, definitely. But I'm excited to see the big ups are, yes, I'm, pardon me, I'm excited to see Joe Selecki again. I'm excited to see what Edgar and Munoz do next. What do you, I mean, what do you think the fight for Frankie Edgar is next? Uh, Aldo, it's going to be Munoz Aldo, definitely. Is that definite? Is that official? Have you heard? It's not official. It's not, no, I haven't heard it, but I'm not, you know, I can. I'm a pretty good matchmaker, and when you look at 135, it seems like the, the it seems like the fight to make. Sorry, when you said it was definitely going to happen, I thought that you meant that it was definitely going to happen. My mistake. Uh, <laughs> it's it's okay. I, for, I forgive Frankie you. Frankie Edgar right now ranked at number five, which is kind of crazy. I mean, Cody Garbrandt is moving down. Sterling is getting a title shot. Marlon Marais just signed on to fight Sanhagen. I mean, that leaves guys like Jimmy Rivera. Uh, Rafael Sunsau, Rob Font. I think Rob Font would probably be the most interesting matchup. Let's talk about Dominic Cruz for a second. Would this be like a fight of legends that everybody would want to see? Yes, but I've heard that Dominic Cruz is not keen on taking that matchup. Well, I mean, the thing is that for both of those guys, I don't think they want a legends fight. I think they both believe that they can get another title shot. I don't. I don't think they're they're content to be on the senior circuit the way that Uriah Uriah Faber was. Um, Which I understand, but to be fair, part of Uriah Faber's senior circuit was fighting Dominic Cruz a bunch of times and Frankie Edgar. Oh yeah, but he had a bunch of fights beyond that too. But yeah, that's true. But Dominic Cruz is now ranked at number eleven. Frankie Edgar's at number five. If you ask me, Dominic Cruz, if you want to get into that top five, Frankie Edgar's a great fucking option unless you don't like the style matchup. Which, by the way, that could very well be the case. Frankie Edgar can match him in footwork. Frankie Edgar's got the size advantage. He's going to have equal speed, if not is not be faster. Frankie Edgar might hit harder than Dominic Cruz, and yeah, oh, he definitely hits harder than Dominic Cruz. I'd love, yeah. I would, lo- I would love to see it. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Me too. I think they're, 
I think they're both chasing bigger scalps. And I think Frankie's going to, you know, Frankie sees himself at number five. He probably sees, you know, one fight between him and Jan. Is it, is it Jimmy Rivera? Maybe. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see. Yeah. At least Jimmy's coming off of a win. I think that's probably the fight that gets made. Yeah, it's funny because Frankie Edgar just went from not being in the rankings at all to shooting into number five, which brought everybody else uh, number six and down like down one notch. So it kind of sucks for everybody else to lose a spot without having competed. But uh, but that's kind of the world that we're competing in with a lot of these guys changing divisions. You got anything on any of these other belts, Nikolai? Uh, not beyond what I've already mentioned. It was a t- it was a tough card to stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. I actually thought it was overall the entertainment factor overall. I thought was there. Um, I mean, huge upsets. We've got Timur Valuev got upset, who's a huge favorite man. It's like he he just got blasted in the second round after dominating early. He looked really good, by the way. Just his variety of strikes, his speed, his explosiveness, his setups. Looking forward to seeing him compete again. But uh, good on Trevin Jones, who's thirteen and six, man, and just needed to and land I, that one bomb. Yeah, to pick up the yep. win. And you, I mean, you've mentioned Agapova. Yeah. I mentioned Agapova. She just she shot the bed. Uh, you know, she fought similar. She fought similarly to the way that Macy Barber has in some of her uh, early prospect fights, which is just like all you know. All I need to do is go and go hard, and you and you know, and every and people are going to wilt. And but if they don't wilt, you better have a plan B, and you better have a gas tank. She could not, you know, she could not get her out of there, and. She was completely gassed. Agapova has been to decision three times, right? She has been to the third round where she finished a girl by armbar once. You would think that it wouldn't be a problem going past the first round for this girl, but I think it was the combination of all the hype. Like, let's face it, the odds were minus 1,000, minus 1,300 for her at some point. Like, are we fucking insane? She got one UFC win over Hannah Cyphers of all people. She thought she was fighting a can. Yeah, I guess. And she wanted a, you know, and she went for the highlight reel. Yeah, I really think Shayna Dobson benefited from switching camps to Elevation Fight Team. I think that was a huge ingredient in this upset. And good on her, man. This is the single biggest upset, maybe in UFC history, man. This is a huge one. It, it is. It is the biggest, and that'll actually play into our our picks for uh, this week because there's another fighter, a female fighter, that's moved to. Um, oh, wait a minute. Yes, I think someone. Yeah, somebody knew it was either with Elevation or maybe Syndicate. I don't know. I'll, I'll check my notes. Cool. Um, <laughs> Let's take a break, Nick. Let's get into those picks because I need to get my momentum back. I'm still ahead, Nick, but man, that lead is quickly shrinking, and I'm getting less and less comfortable over here. Let's take a break. Come back and give these guys our preview for UFC Fight Night, headlined by Anthony Smith and Alexander Rakic. Back on the MMA Geek Seal Level Podcast, in which Nick and I are going to dive into this weekend's card, Rockick versus Smith. We're going to do our usual draft system. For those that haven't heard this before, we each taking turns picking fighters that are competing on this card at the end of Saturday night. Whichever of us picked more winning fighters ends up getting a point. I have 12 points. Nick has eight at this point. He is quickly catching up. We have a few draws mixed in there. Nikolai, let's get my momentum back. Let's do this. You've got the first pick, buddy. You know, it's funny. I'm actually gonna um, I'm gonna skip over a previous first pick of mine, uh-huh. um, and and maybe let you have that one because I think that uh, Sean Brady 
um, the welterweight who has been fi- uh, who's been training with Eddie Alvarez and looked really terrific is taking on Christian Aguilera, uh, a fighter who hasn't doesn't seem like he's could see he seems like in this fight he is the opponent, and I like everything that we've seen from Sean Brady. I like what he can do. I like how he's been training. I like that he spent a lot of time in Philadelphia previously with Paul Felder and, and some other top-notch fighters. And I think this is a. Uh, I think this will. I think this will be a uh, spectacular win by by Brady. I expect him to get Aguilera out of there um, at the end of the first. Yeah, uh, Brady's a hot prospect. 2-0 in the UFC against more experienced UFC-level competition. Really solid everywhere. And he's able to adjust his game plan based on his opponent's weaknesses. Uh, Aguilera's serious power in his strikes as he showed in his UFC debut. Decent takedowns if needed, but not the best chin. He's been knocked out a few times. I like Brady to exploit Christian's uh, weaknesses and win a decision here. Christian always has a chance of landing a bomb, but not a high chance in this matchup. I think uh, Sean Brady's a real prospect. He actually beat one of my training partners, one of my old training partners recently on his way into the UFC and uh, a couple of big names in the UFC already. I, I like him here, and that was going to be my first pick, so good selection, Nick. My next pick is going to be the one that you skipped over. I'm going to assume... The former first pick. The former first pick. I'm going to assume that Magomed Ankalaev and Ion Kutelaba can make it to the goddamn fight this time, can actually complete a fight without any controversy. Ankalaev is two inches taller, but has the same reach. He's a southpaw. Last time, Ankalaev hurt Kutelaba on the feet. He landed eight hard, fast strikes in about 30 seconds, and there's no reason to assume that Ion was pretending to be hurt Besides Bisping sharing that theory on the broadcast, Angolaev should have the edge on the feet. And we'll only get more one-sided as it goes because Eon gets tired and Angolaev consistently has that same speed level throughout about there's no reason to assume that ian can catch him in a submission but ian can get takedowns and there's a chance there's a, a way for him to win that way but i, I don't like it i i expect that uncle energy management his speed advantage his power advantage that he showed in that first fight will uh, play a factor here so i, I like uncle Iev, but dude like given all the circumstances of this fight i could absolutely see this being an upset what's your next pick buddy Oh yeah, I've got nothing to add to that one because I've done it up before yeah. on the show. My next fight, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick against my crush. I'm gonna go with uh, Mallory Martin, who's the one that trains at Elevation, um, who's been defeated by Macy Barber and and John DeRoba, but has uh, I just think is a higher just a higher level of fighter <clears throat> at a at a much much stronger camp. And based on her her current skill set, I just cannot see Hannah Cyphers beating someone who's training at Elevation right now. Her skin, skill her current skill set and her and her camp. Yeah, uh, Cypher's a decent striker, not the best takedown defense, not very good ground game. And even though she's small, she's strong and, you know, she has some power. Martin is an aggressive striker, yep. good overall fundamentals, crafty considering her lack of experience. She's a tough girl with plenty of heart. And Nick, I have in my notes that she trains at American Kickboxing Academy. I wonder if she's moved to uh, relation since then. I th- I'm pretty sure she did. Let me... Yeah, while you do that research, Martin should do well everywhere. She has the height and reach advantage. Cyphers is capable. If she doesn't land a fight-ending bomb, she will get outworked and outcrafted in this one, I think. So I, I agree with you, Nick. So far, our picks are in line, one for one. This would have been my third pick. Tapology has her at elevation. I believe that her Twitter has her at elevation. Ah, uh, she did switch, Nikolai. Fascinating. I like it. Cool. Uh, well, well scouted, buddy. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, I'm, 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 on. I'm on the same page right. with you on that um. pick. My next picnic <laughs> is going to be the main event. Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic. 
Anthony Smith has good BJJ against not BJJ specialists. He can time takedowns under opponents' straight punches. Looks great when pressing forward, and he looks terrible when backing up. He's a slow starter. Uh, Anthony Smith can accept bottom position when taken down. At some point, he his goal kind of switches from winning to survival if he's getting dominated. And uh, he has heart but to come back, but his opponent's got to be pretty exhausted to give him that opportunity. Alexander Rakic, he was on a 12-fight work streak. He, he throws heavy leg kicks, solid speed, plenty of lateral movement, sometimes circles himself against the cage, which is concerning. Lots of fakes and feints that kind of set up his low kicks. Great killer instinct once his opponent is hurt. The bad is that he can be hurt but has great recovery. As he showed against Devin Clark, he has 88% takedown defense. And he's not fought uh, in a five-rounder yet. And I think that's a little bit of a risk factor for Rakic. He does not train with a known team either. Their common opponent is Vulcan Ozdemir. Smith beat him after kind of losing early and Rakic lost a very close decision. I have concerns about Rakic not pressuring enough, which give Smith a chance, but I like Rockets to start strong and continue the momentum as Smith loses confidence and takes damage. Smith does well against aging veterans who should be retiring. He does well against young guns with little experience and a limited gas tank. Rakic may fall into that latter category, but I still favor him to win. He's got a two-inch reach advantage, even though they're the same height. Smith arguably trains with a better team, but Rakic has a team dedicated almost exclusively to him. Rakic lands more offense, 62% more strikes per minute. He's more accurate. He has better defense. Rakic absorbs about 2.4 strikes per minute, where Smith absorbs twice as many strikes per minute. Um, He's got better takedown defense at 88% to Smith's 51%. He lands more takedowns per 15 minutes. On top of that, Smith is coming off of a beating at the hands of Glover Teixeira just three months ago, Nick. So even though Rakic has never been five rounds, I don't expect him to get tired based on some of the training footage I'm seeing. If he does get tired, Smith will take over, but I'm not expecting that to happen. I like Rockets to pick up a big win here. Yeah, I'm I'm with you completely. I, I think if I thought it was going to be close, that the how recent that Glover Teixeira beating was really troubles me, combined with the fact that I think as much as I, I like Anthony Smith as a guy, I like him on the mic, um, I just, yeah, I... I think it's I think it's I think it's too soon. I think this is not a great matchup, and I think he's been somewhat overrated. I also think that we have to look at his victory over over Alexander Gustafsson in the context of the Gustafsson that's been fighting for the last two years is not the Gustafsson that and John Jones won in Cormier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. So I just I think I think you're talking about a real pros a real uh, I guess Ray Kick is a little more than a prospect now, but a real guy kind of on the way up versus someone who I, I do believe is still a gatekeeper journeyman um, who kind of got inflated, frankly, for um, the thinness of the light heavyweight ranks for a while, which are now starting to fill out uh, somewhat somewhat better. Yes, sir. Um, my next pick is so this is where it gets tricky because there's a couple I feel good about, but I'm going to go with the co-main event. I'm going to pick Neil Magny to defeat Robbie Lawler. Um, listen, I think that any version of, uh, I think Neil Magny is a bad matchup for any version of Robbie Lawler. Um, I don't think Lawler has the kind of the the crazy combo approach of a, um, oh my God, who's the name, uh, who's that fighter that left and went to Bellator? He came up in strike force. He beat Nick, he beat Neil Magny. Um, Oh, uh, Lorenz Larkin. 
Yes, yes. I mean that that's really the style that I think you need to beat uh, to beat Neil Magny. I think I think that um, unless Lawler is like heavy on the you know heavy on the vitamins. Um, I think that Magny pieces him up. I think he's I think he's faster. He's not plotting. I think he's got better. He's got better movement. He roll he rolls with shots really well. I think Lawler's got a puncher's chance. He always has a puncher's chance. But Magny's chin's pretty good, and I just think he's going to be busier with a better gas tank. I could see him taking Robbie down. Um, I I could see him uh, just you know devouring him with volume, especially as the fight goes on. I think Neil Magny wins a pretty clean cut decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I think Lawler has the athleticism, speed, and power to beat Neil Magny in a three-round fight. The question is, which Lawler will show up? Is it the one that pressures forward with bombs, like he did against, let's say, Donald Cerrone? Or is it the one that sits back in the cage and rolls with punches without throwing a single goddamn thing? To me, it's a pick em. I'm going to go with Magny here, too. I mean, Lawler made his debut 18 years ago, Nick, as a 20-year-old prospect. He was 4-0 at the time. That event, that UFC event that he made his debut at 18 years ago, Nick, was headlined by Marillo Bustamante and Matt Lindland. I would not blame our listeners if they've never heard at least Bustamante's name. Both guys were actually very accomplished in their MMA careers, but both have been retired for many, many years now. He was the strike force, or I'm sorry, he was the elite XC middleweight champ. He was the UFC welterweight champ. He's trained with Militich. He's trained with American Top Team. He's trained with the Black Zillions that, that are now called the Sanford MMA. He's got really the craft he's got he's got the skills he's got the power he's got everything except when he doesn't choose to use it he has long stretches of inactivity he doesn't respond well to pressure he's one and four in his last five fights after holding the ufc strap he should be two and three to be fair right ben Askren and herb dean kind of colluded and, and cost him that win but he took this fight on a few weeks notice after not competing for over a year and that's another thing that i think goes in neil magny's favor magny has incredible conditioning he's going to have the height and reach advantage here and yeah I, I think he should have should be able to at least in the second half of the fight start to pressure and, and maybe kind of win a fight that way but the guy has no power I don't know that his takedowns will work against Lawler in a three-round fight whether where Lawler gets kind of more tired toward the latter end of a fight and I will say this Lawler is another case of a guy who used to be a journeyman and then became a great fighter and then once USADA came into the UFC, he went back to being a journeyman. It could be a coincidence, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, yeah, I hear you, and especially it, it, it you know, it's American Top Team. Um, but true, Magny is. I mean, Magny is a pressure fighter, and since his own suspension for the vitamins or whatever was going on there, Magny's looked really good. Uh, yeah, I thought Magny lost his last fight, but it was to a, a you know it was a close decision. MMA decisions, I think, had a pretty f uh, heavily in favor of uh, Tony Martin. But yeah, I mean, like he he's looked okay uh, against good competition, to be fair. And Robbie Lawler has been losing to only the best. Like it's not like this guy loses to to the Anthony Rocco Martins of the world, right? He lost to Colby Covington, RDA, Tyron Woodley, and those were his only three legitimate losses in the last, I think, six years. So, you know, it's not it's not like Robbie Lawler's necessarily completely over the hill. But, yeah, I mean, again, I think he has all the skills to win the fight. I just don't think he will choose to do so. And for that reason alone, I'm going with Neil Magny. I think the odds are a little lopsided here, to be perfectly honest with you. But I do kind of get where they're coming from. So my next pick is in the Alexa Grosso and the Ji Yeon Kim matchup. Grosso is a 
27-year-old Mexican fighter, fast hands, solid overall boxing game, and she's been putting her kind of overall game together as she gates kind of high-level experience, literally learning on the job. She's making her flyweight debut after a campaign at 115 pounds in which she really largely only lost to some of the best. She's been taken down and controlled in recent losses. Kim is a South Korean fighter, decent overall fundamentals, prefers to strike, has size and power, but she's pretty slow, and her takedown defense is not very good at all. And she takes more shots than she lands if you look at her UFC stats. So even though Grasso is the smaller girl who has not competed at this weight, I like her speed and boxing advantage against a fighter who will be slower and won't take her down. I'm concerned about the size difference, but I favored the more technical technical fighter with higher level of experience. Yep, this was going to be uh, mine also. I mean, Kim's, uh, you know, she's a she's a BJJ purple belt. Uh, she's a Hapkido and Wusho master. She's a very accomplished uh, mixed martial artist. But what she doesn't have is Grasso's kryptonite, yep. which is the Carla Esparza, like power double leg or that really tenacious single leg. And just Grasso does not have an answer for that. I agree. Um, but I don't think I don't think Kim's going to be able to bring that to the table. So this was a fight like looking at things. I kind of wish I had picked this last instead of Magni Lawler. Um, but such such is life. Yep. Um, now now it gets you know now we get into those those kind of like in- interesting picks. Uh, I'm going to pick the well-rounded uh, Impa Impa. Uh, oh jeez, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I am not helping you, Nick. You're on your own. <laughs> Impa Kasagane uh, to defeat Maki Patolo. Um, a lot of this, I just haven't been that impressed with Patolo, but also the guys who guys who lose and bounce back a week or two later, I just think you need more time. I don't believe this when you've just lost. I feel like something, uh, I feel like something happens in there, and that you aren't at your most strategic. You're not at your most uh, sound of mind, and anxiety around getting two losses so quickly can creep in. Yeah. Uh, we've seen, I think we've seen that a couple of times. Uh, there's the flip side where you t- look at a Chris Lieben fighting, um, you know, se- who did he fight? He fought Sexyama and oh yeah, I can't remember who the other fight was against. He had two two like awesome fights within a week, and you can kind of like roll that momentum, and it works the other way. You like you you lose two weeks ago, or you really want to show up again. There's nothing you want to. I, I get you just want to get back in there and, and get it back. It's just there's not a lot of easy outs in the U, in the UFC, particularly for uh, a guy on the lower rungs uh, like like Patolo. And I'll tell you what he hasn't done in two weeks is advanced his game. <laughs> so, no, probably so, not. <laughs> um, I think he just wants to get in there and do it. And I think that's a uh, yeah. I think I mean I think that I just believe that if you've lost a fight and you've got coaches and a team that care about you and there's an opportunity to come back a week or two later, they should say, hold your horses. You're only going to get so many shots here. Let's let's call your shots. Let's figure out what what went wrong and let's build let's build you up um, rather than have you thinking about getting choked out like two weeks ago. That's I mean, maybe I'm outside the fight and I'm more to the psychology here, but that's my I think it's, uh, you know. I'm not a big fan of guys coming back this quickly after a loss. I feel like it would be risky for Maki Putolo, who didn't take a lot of damage just a couple of weeks ago in his fight against Darren Stewart. Not a, not a lot, but he took some. No, but but he he's one and two in the UFC, and if the UFC gives you a call and wants you to fight on short notice, you're probably you probably shouldn't say no, man. Like you're probably you could like get let go. So I don't know if he had much of. An I mean, there's short there's short note. I don't know, Stan. There's short notice, and then there's two weeks. Yeah, I mean, have you have you heard about the UFC's practices with fighters and the way they treat them and the way they treat them if they say no to fights? Like, like that's the thing. Like, they put you in a position where 
your career is kind of on the line. You better accept this fight. Also, this is not like the worst matchup for Maki, right? This is a guy that will likely stand with him. You know, Impa might go for takedowns, but, you know, he's not super dangerous on the ground. He's got good striking fundamentals, good calf kicks, a good counter right hand. He goes to the body. He's got good head movement, decent footwork, and he's willing to shoot under opponent's punches for takedowns. He trains at the lab in Arizona with guys like Brian Barbernera and Scott Holtzman, and he's coming off of a contender series win literally just within the last couple of weeks, uh, Impa is. So, yeah, his confidence is riding high. Patel's a good striker. He kind of focuses on body shots. Decent overall. Fight IQ is lacking. Moved up to 185 from 170 recently, and he's coming off a loss to Stewart by submission. I'm picking Impa in this one as well. I don't see him making the kind of mistakes Maki makes as he might be very comfortable fighting in the same room in the same octagon as he did a couple of weeks ago, despite this being his UFC debut. So I'm there with you, buddy. We're we're in agreement, by the way, on every, on like last That's week. Right. We're in agreement on everything so That's far. Right. What do you got next? Uh, my next pick is going to be in the Ricardo Lamas versus Bi- Bill. That that fights uh-huh. what well, uh, dude? That fight's not on the card. Are you serious? Is canceled? Oh, am I wrong? I hope so. I thought it. Um, I I still see them on Tapology. Oh, maybe maybe he, I'm wrong. Was, maybe it was a previous Lamas. Yeah, fight he was scheduled to fight Ryan Hall, but I I feel like that replacement happened like. A while ago, I think, like a you know, over over a few days ago, but yeah. So I oh. in the in the Lamas versus Aljo matchup, Aljo is actually coming off of a contender series loss, and then he ended up picking up a win on the regional scene before uh, you know coming back into this short notice opportunity in the UFC. Lama Lama should have the speed, power, and wrestling advantage. Aljo has is significantly taller, but I don't see enough firepower to stop Lamas. His kicks might be a danger to Lamas, and that's the big concern I would say. If anything Lamas might be one and three in his last four but he generally loses to top prospects and contenders plus Algeo was taking this fight on six days notice to make his UFC debut after getting roughed up on contender series and has generally beat low-level fighters his wrestling defense sucks and Lamas should be able to get takedowns if he wants to but if Lamas takes his chances on the feet given you know the fact that he can be knocked out easier than ever nowadays he might just get kicked in the head, so I would definitely be careful if I was him. But I like Lamas to pick up the win in this one. Oh well, I didn't know this fight was happening. I made a mistake. So, but I also agree with you. Let's just say. <laughs> uh, next, I'm gonna do uh, what I always do and pick against the Italian. I'm gonna go with 36 year old uh, grindy veteran uh, Zach Cummings, who's just kind of a tough middleweight dude. Um, doesn't look much like a fighter, but can be. Uh, you know, can surprise you. Can snatch a neck. Um, is he's just a tough out? He's a tough out, and he's fighting uh, a fairly unheralded uh, Alessio Di uh, Di Chirico. Um, and I've I've just I've got a long-standing policy of not picking Italian fighters. You really do. <laughs> My people are not. We are we are good with food and clothes and uh, f- figuring out ways to figure figuring out ways to avoid work. Um, <laughs> not only do you pick against your girl Hannah Cyphers, but you pick against your fellow Italian Alessio DiCherico. Not okay, dude. Were you going to pick DiCherico? Uh, no, but I'm not Italian. Coming should <laughs> <laughs> coming should be able to earn a close decision at least. He's not fast, but Alessio is not really faster. Zach gets taken down by solid wrestlers, and I know that Alessio gets takedowns, but Alessio is not a solid wrestler. 
Cummings has the takedown option, the submission grappling advantage on top of a pretty solid southpaw game. I think the Cherico's best chance here is to just like overwhelm him with like many, many strikes and, and takedown attempts and win a decision. But I like Cummings' craft to come through in this matchup. So I'm on the same page with you there. Yeah, I mean, the guys, he also, he also you know, his losses are to uh, Ponzinibbio, who's a monster, although we haven't seen him in a really long time. You know, Gunnar Nelson, um, uh, Michel uh, Prezera is a split decision against that guy who's a friggin' powerhouse. And then he lost to another powerhouse, Amari uh, Akhmedov. These are just like huge, huge, like power grappler guys. I, I don't, I think the kind, I think the, the kind of fighter he's going up against should not, um, you know, sh- isn't going to provide a lot of problems. No, but but again, Alessio does get a bunch of takedowns. Zach Cummings' takedown defense isn't awesome against these good wrestlers. I wonder if Alessio's takedowns are good enough for Zach. Really good wrestlers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I tend not to think so. So yeah, What Italian can wrestle like Akhmedov? I hear yeah. that. I hear that, definitely. My next picnic is going to be in the Alex Caceres versus Kevin Kroom, is it? I believe Kevin Kroom is his name. Caceres is a UFC journeyman. While Groom was a regional journeyman, Caceres was scheduled against Chika Jagatse, but Kroom took the fight on four days' notice. But Kroom fought five rounds just a week and a half ago, so it, there's no chance that he's out of shape. And he trains at Glory MMA, which is a good camp and probably better than whatever camp uh, Alex Leroy is at. But Caceres is coming off of two wins in the UFC against you know opposition that is at least equal to Kroom, if not surpassing him. So I'm going to favor the UFC journeyman to beat the uh, the less crafty kind of veteran of the local circuit. Um, yeah, I had the same there, and that brings us to the last pick. Is this the last pick, or is it a tiebreaker? I believe it's a tiebreaker, Nick. Huh. I think if I heard right, that Pollyanna Vienna has been at um, Syndicate. Actually, Ooh. I'm gonna look. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'm gonna look that up right now to verify it, because that's gonna make the this. The, this I was trying to not pick this fight. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> um, so looking at her Instagram, I'm not seeing any clear indication that she's at Syndicate, but she does like to take uh, very sexy Instagram photos, which really is to her credit, in my opinion. Yeah, she has been training at Syndicate. She has nice. Apparent, according to, uh, and I, I like, uh, I think Whitmire is still at Extreme Couture. Um, I know that uh, Pollyanna Viana, ha- uh, Viana hasn't shown uh, a ton, but um, oof, this is <laughs> this is a re- oh man, go for this it, pick really Viana, tricky. pick the prettier girl, just do it. I, I I don't think that's necessarily the case, but thank you for showing us uh, what kind of chauvinist you are. How dare you? Um, fine, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Pollyanna Viana. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Both have had trouble getting win re- winning records in the UFC. Whitmire has bad fight IQ, and Viana can't really realize her potential because of a lack of kind of mental fortitude. I think she gets lost in the moment. Since Whitmire has submitted submitted in her UFC losses, I like the submission specialist and Viana here for that reason, but neither can really be relied on. So I, I definitely hear your trepidation, Nick. 
we are on the same page. I think every single pick we've agreed on in this one, Nick, this doesn't usually happen. Yeah. And I could see this one going either way, which is not a good sign for your boy who is on a bit of a losing streak here, Nick. Like the MMA gods, just in case I have made better picks than you, the MMA gods will screw me some way. They'll cancel a bunch of my good picks. They'll they'll give you a couple of gift decisions. And we're going to be here next week talking about how, even though I'm still ahead, you've got your fifth win in a row. I could... I could I could also see us being like, well, it came down to the tiebreaker. Sucks to be you, Nick. <laughs> oh, Nikolai, so, it doesn't work well, that uh, way with in recent past. Again, the MMA gods, whatever sacrifice you're making, Nick, it is working, and I would love to hear some details if you're willing to share them at some point. You just got to know where to farm the right babies to feed them to the goats, the goat demons. You've given your daughter up to <laughs> God damn it, Nick. I don't know. No, my daughter's do my yet. daughter's my daughter's seven. My daughter's seven. She's too old for the goat demons. Oh, my, my daughter's <laughs> about to turn one. Is she like prime age? You think? I don't go to Jersey. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not eliminating any options. I'm willing to consider. Whatever will oh. get me some wins here. <laughs> uh, Nikolai, another good one in the books. I know that you have to go shortly. We're going to take a break, and I will come back and give you guys my betting recommendations. Nikolai, good to be with you this week, buddy. Thanks for not rubbing it in too hard, I guess, is is really all I can I say. I mean, how could I? We both, if, Dude, If I, I would have been all over you if I went like 5-0, and oh, but Jesus. Oh, yeah. You, your overall, I, I think you had one correct pick on the entire card, and that happened to be the fight that you a, chose. It's crazy. That's not entirely true, but it's not entirely false. All right, my (laughs) friend. I'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, buddy. And I am back for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Now, last week I recommended a bet on the Agapova-Dobson matchup, and my recommendation was to watch out for the Agapova by first round finish line, and if that one has plus on it, you should bet. Fortunately, it wasn't the greatest odds for that. I think a lot of people expected for it to go that way, but my other kind of recommendation in place of that was for this fight to go less than 1.5 rounds because I expected Agapova to finished Dobson before then. As it turned out, Dobson finished Agapova before then, which worked out really well. So that $75 bet at minus 140 ended up netting $54 in profits. And then I recommended a parlay of Daniel Rodriguez and Mike Rodriguez, the Rodriguez's, 40 bucks netted me $51 in profits. And I recommended a parlay on Munoz and OSP, $40 to win 75 Unfortunately, OSP ended up having to pull out and Munoz got screwed on the decision. So that's a $40 loss, which brings me to $105 in winnings, $40 loss, a net total of $65 profit. I will take that. I actually want to try something a little bit new, a little bit different for this betting guide from now on. The way that I want to work it is we're going to assume that we're starting betting from scratch for the first time ever. And you guys can kind of take this journey with me. The goal is to start off with $300 and see what we can do with it in the next few months. Now, I'm going to end up betting $200 on this event, so I'm risking quite a bit of it, but the fact that I'm spreading it out over, it's going to end up being five bets, I'm assuming will reduce my risk. So here we go. Poliana Viana, I think she's got a big submission edge. She's got some power in her hands. I know that she hasn't performed up to her potential in the UFC so far, but Emily Wetmeyer has been susceptible to submission losses two Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Poliana Viana is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and her at plus money really creates an opportunity. So what I recommend is Viana by submission is plus 424. 
$12 to win 51 bucks. I would say that's certainly worth the minor risk there. And the rest of my bet recommendations for this week are going to be parlays. First, I recommend a parlay of Rockich and Grosso. $60 to win 51 on those two. Martin and Vienna. The two female fighters on the card, Vienna, I already placed a bit of a bet on. Plus 198 odds for this one. $30 to win 59 And then we have Ankalaev and Cummings. I like both of these guys to win their bouts, and I'm fairly confident. And getting plus money on them combined is great. $60 to win 98 on that one. And finally, we have Sean Brady and this UFC newcomer who's fighting Maki Pitolo. His name is Kasanganai. $30 to win 50 on that one. A total of $200 in bets, which means we have $100 saved. On the off chance that everything goes absolutely wrong and we lose everything next week, we've still got $100 to play with, and in which case I might have to get a little bit more conservative. But that way we can kind of track how the bets are doing and how they're doing long term. We have a starting point and we know exactly what it is, $300 in this case. And we know what we have coming up this weekend. Nick and I already previewed it in the last segment. Next week, we have UFC Vegas 9, Overeem versus Sakai. Pretty solid heavyweight main event, an old guard, new guard situation. And it'll be interesting to see if Sakai, who's 15-1-1, by the way, a really serious record considering he spent a good portion of his career in Bellator and in the UFC, going up against the aged veteran Alistair Overeem, going back all the way to the Pride days. This should be interesting, and it'll be interesting to see which one of these guys come out and become a top contender because I think Overeem with a couple more wins can get into that space. Now, we've got Michelle Pereira versus Zalim Amadayev. That is interesting to me. Zalim, I think, is largely overrated, and Pereira is just completely unpredictable. Ovin St. Preux and Alonzo Menefield got rescheduled to this card. At least that's the rumor. Nico Montana versus Julia Avila. Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher is a good matchup. Tiago Moises versus Jalen Turner is interesting. We've got Cole Smith finally coming back against Hunter Azor, both promising uh, undefeated guys that ended up taking their first L's in the UFC. Also had some success, of course. I think they're both 1-1 one one in the uh, premier organization. We've got Montana De La Rosa and Viviana Rujo facing off. And then Sajira Eubanks is coming back against Carol Rosa. Yeah, it should be an interesting card to break down next week. We've already broken down this coming up card for you guys. Looking forward to getting back to you next week with our reaction to this weekend's card and the preview of next week's card. Thanks for listening, guys.